Well, so good to be with you, uh, to be uh, jumping back in the Word today. Before we do, just one quick announcement on my part. A lot of you may not know this, but uh, we just honored these two men for amazing service. But uh, other people that are so, uh, such a, play such a core part in our church, all of our life group leaders, all of our life group hosts, really kind of the shepherds of our church. And you may not know this if you've uh, never been a life group leader or host, but we actually uh, have not only a one-day training where they, before they start a group for both leaders and hosts, but every session, so at the start of the, the, the fall, the winter, and the spring session, we gather all of our hosts and leaders together, both husbands and wives, uh, and it's a very important time of kind of vision casting, reminding us what we're doing. And so uh, if you're a leader or a host, just thank you so much for your service. But I'll remind you that this Friday night, uh, we have our next gathering. And it's a very important time uh, for, for everyone on your team, leaders and hosts, husbands and wife. And so just encourage you to make, uh, make that a priority. If you haven't RSVP'd yet, just let us know so we know uh, how to plan. But uh, if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Well, God, we're just excited to be here in your house. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you for you, who you are, um, the amazing God that you are, and how you've loved us when we were far from you, you've pursued us, and you now call us your sons and daughters, and that you not only call us and forgive us, but then you fill us with your Holy Spirit, who comes to lead us and guide us into all truth, so that we can be transformed to be like you, to walk in the freedom you've created us for. And as we talk today about such an important topic, Lord, perhaps one of the most important topics we could ever talk about, I pray that you would come by the power of your spirit, speak to us individually by name, call us to listen, call us to follow, so we can be transformed to be like you. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today in the middle of the week. Uh, these two men are walking through this town, um, They've moved there here a few weeks ago, and yet uh, they're, they're starting to get the lay of the town. They're heading, they're heading down the street uh, for a particular house, and actually they've, they've been by this house before. Uh, most people in this town know this house because the, the owner of this house is fairly famous. He's fairly well off. He has a very powerful position in their community, uh, but he's not very popular. And uh, honestly, they never would have imagined um, that they would be going to his house for a party. And as they're walking down this street, they're talking about this back and forth and trying to figure out which is, which is more odd, which is more weird, that, that they were invited to this party or that they accepted the invitation. And so as they walk and come through the gate, they head up to the house, they're filled with a wide variety of emotions, some anticipation, a little bit of concern, a little of fear, um, a, a lot of curiosity, but what they don't know is that before this party is over, something's going to happen they're never going to forget. In fact, it's going to impact them deeply, and they're going to be talking about it for the rest of their lives. Well, today we're continuing this uh, series that we're in right now that's called The Gospel of God. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome, whether you're here with us on campus, you're joining us online. Um, this, this series is a uh, kind of an in-depth look at uh, one of the most important letters uh, ever written in the history of the world, no, no question. Uh, it's, a, it's a letter from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of Jesus followers who live in the capital city when the movement of Jesus is very young, but it's reached the capital city of Rome, about a million people. He doesn't, he's never been there. He's not met most of these people. 
But in this, in, this, uh, in this letter, he's laying out, in fact, in the very first verse he, in, verse, he introduces the topic of the letter, what he calls the gospel of God. And so this series is called The Gospel of God, and then it's about the letter to the Romans. And so if you were here last week, we entered for the first time into the main body of this letter. It starts at the middle of chapter one, goes through the middle of chapter 15. And in this opening section, uh, Paul is laying out evidence, almost like a prosecuting attorney. He's laying out the evidence to show kind of the, 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 the rebellion of the human race, uh, why we rebel, and, and how it's led to this judgment that, this, this, that our entire race, and he's speaking especially to Gentiles here, but the, how the entire race uh, is under what he calls the judgment or the wrath of God, you know, apart from the coming of Messiah, which we, we'll get to later in the letter. And, uh, and he, he wants to explain why this is. And what we saw last week is that, is that the core sin of our fallen human race is that, that we reject the truth that God has revealed about himself, about us, and about what I call the path to life, kind of the path to human flourishing, because we don't like what it, what it, re, what it reveals, we don't like what it requires. Um, and so when we reject this truth, the lights go out. The, the lights go out spiritually, intellectually, morally, relationally, and it leads to this downward spiral, either in a person's life or in culture in general, that starts with spiritual confusion, leads then to sexual confusion, and then finally leads to social chaos. Right? And so what I want to do today is, as we jump back in this passage, is I want to focus on this core sin of the human race, the sin of spiritual denial, because it's so important not only to understand the story of our race, not only to understand what's happening in our culture, but it's really important for us to understand what happens in our own life and our relationship with Jesus and how we grow. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called um, The Gospel of God, The Core Sin. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up, turn on to uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And so this is where Paul starts his kind of main body of the letter. And he starts off, like we said last week, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, right? So uh, we talked about this last week, that we live in a culture today that really doesn't like this concept of the wrath or the anger of God. We just want to talk about the love of God. But what we saw last week is that the wrath of God is really the flip side of the love of God. Like if you, if you truly are about everything that's good and right and true, and if you, you're truly about love, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be angry about everything that destroys what is good and right and true or is a violation of the law of love. And so, so God is a good God, and he's gonna hold us accountable for any destruction of the good, the beauty, the right, the true, that we are part of. And so he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, kind of right now, uh, right here in real time, uh, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, and now here comes the key phrase for today, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So this is what Paul is gonna say, in fact, he's gonna say it four times today in this short passage, that this core sin of the human race is it. Though God has revealed truth about who he is, who we are in the path to life, he's revealed it through creation. We're gonna come back to that in a couple weeks. Uh, he's, he's revealed it through creation. He's revealed it through our conscience and other, other ways that we don't like what the truth reveals. And so then we, we not only reject it, that we actually suppress that truth so we can do what we want, kind of create 
God's in our own image to let us do what we want. And so he says, this is the core sin. Now he's gonna say this three more times in this letter, and each time it's gonna tie to one of the stages of this spiritual death spiral. Whether it's a spiritual confusion, then sexual confusion, and then social chaos. So he's gonna say it three more times to reiterate every step of this cycle, downward spiral, is because of the same thing. So here's what he, uh, so we're not gonna read through the entire passage, um, but we're gonna, we're gonna hit on some of the highlights as Paul focuses on this particular sin. He says, so, who suppress the truth and wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made them known. So that's the core sin, right? Now, if you skip down to verse 20, uh, 23, he says, for although they knew God, this is the second time he said it, they neither glorified him as God, let God be God, uh, nor gave thanks to him, um, but their thinking became what? Futile, uh, which remember the Greek word deals with like worthless or confused, and their foolish hearts were what? So, so this is what we're gonna see, is that when we reject the truth, it's like the lights go out spiritually. Right? And he says, this is what happened, and he says, first of all, it's gonna happen spiritually, then it happens sexually, then it happens uh, socially. And so he says, uh, so he says in verse uh, 22, although they claimed to be wise, they were actually became what? Fool. So this is what happens when we reject the truth. Not only do we reject the truth, we actually start believing the lie. And we actually are, think we're really smart, but we're actually have become foolish. Remember that word in the Greek, moreno, uh, is where we get our word, morons. So he says, so, so here comes stage one. You reject the truth, the lights go out, you become morons. Uh, then first stage is he says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So the first step as a result of rejecting the truth is this step of spiritual rejection of the truth. Right? The second step, of course, is going to be uh, we, when you lose when you lose track when you lose uh, a picture of who God is because we're made in His image. We lose who we are. And, and one of the key parts of us that drives us because of strong desire is our sexuality. So, so that's, that's what's going to happen. It's going to lead to confusion as to who we are, especially in our sexuality. So he says in verse 24, therefore God gave them over. You know, there's if you want to believe a lie, I'll let you go, but you'll pay the price. He says, God gave them over in the, uh, the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And he says the reason is, he comes back to this reason again, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Right? So he says it again. Well, there's one more stage in this downward cycle, and that's uh, social chaos. And so if you jump to verse 28, once again, he'll tie this next stage to this rejection of truth. Verse 28, furthermore, here's the fourth time he said it, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So we talked before about degrading with our bodies. Now we're, we're talking about a depraved mind. So they might, they might uh, do what, uh, what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And then he goes on, as we looked at last week, to like highlight here's some of the attitudes and actions that destroy love in human relationships and tear relationships apart. So what we see in this passage, again, big picture, hey, this is why God is angry with the human right. This is why there's going to be judgment, is that though we knew the truth, that we rejected it because we don't like it, what it, what it reveals, what it requires, 
And so when, that, when we reject the truth, the lights go out, and then we start down this path of spiritual confusion about who God is, and then sexual confusion, who we are, that ends finally in social chaos, right? Now, he'll come back in the future to talk about, that's, that's the story of Gentile culture, it doesn't matter which one. Uh, he'll come back later and talk about kind of Israel and, and, and how, how this rebellion uh, manifests in Israel different than, say, in, the, the, in Gentile cultures. But what I want to do today in our time together is I want to highlight three really important truths, uh, important uh, spiritual life principles that flow out of this passage that not only apply to the race in general, not only apply to our individual lives in general, but apply to our lives as followers of Jesus. And then come back at the end, we're going to get really practical, and I'm going to ask three specific questions as we kind of grapple with these, these truths in our own lives. So number one, there in your note sheet, the gospel of God, the dimmer switch. So here we go. Number one, the first principle goes like this, that the dimmer switch is real. So if you've been here at Rocky Peak for any length of time, maybe a year or two, chances are you've heard us talk about the dimmer switch principle. If you're new, you may not. Uh, It's very simple but extremely profound. And it goes like this, that when God reveals a truth, right, he starts revealing, it could be a truth about who he is, it be a truth about who we are, it could be a truth about what I like to call the path to life, the path to human flourishing. This is how life is to be lived, this is how it leads to flourishing, right? That when God begins to reveal a truth, that we always have a choice. And the choice is we can either embrace that truth and move towards the light, the new insight that God is giving, Um, or we can reject that truth because we don't like what it requires, we don't like what it reveals, and move away. And that if we move towards the light, what happens is like with every step towards the light, we get more light. Like God gives us more light. When we reject the truth, we don't like it, we move away, we we start losing light, and we actually get a place, we we actually lose the light we had. So picture it like this. Let's say that you're lost, uh, like you're one of my backpacking trips, right? So you're lost in the forest, you don't know where you are, and, and you're, it's dark, it's at night, it's a dense forest, you don't know where you are, and you see a light in the distance, right? And so you, you start moving towards that light. Um, what's gonna happen? The light's gonna get brighter, right? It gets bigger, it gets brighter, and, uh, and it's gonna lead you on. What if you say, hey, I think those are bad people over there in the middle of a forest, it could be whacked out people. I'm gonna go the other direction. I just want to find the trail. Well, as you move away, what happens? The light gets darker, right? So, so this is the big picture principle that we call it the dimmer switch. This is how it works in our life. When God reveals truth to us, it's like a light. The light begins to go on, that we can either move towards it or we can move away from it. If we move towards it, with every step, it gets brighter. And this is how our spiritual growth works. When the Holy Spirit shows us one thing, we take this step and then he shows us the next thing because God's not gonna show us 10 steps in advance. He just shows us the next thing. And as we go, we, we just grow. It's very natural, it's very organic. The Holy Spirit has a plan for every one of our lives. It's unique and, and so as we, he, he knows where we need to grow. As we follow, then the light gets turned up. On the other hand, if we don't like that truth, because we don't like what it reveals, what it requires, we move away, we can move so far, as we move away, we begin to lose the very light that we have. Now, Paul, when we do uh, this passage, this principle, the dimmer switch is taught 
many different places. Taught in Isaiah, taught in Jesus, taught and so on. But Romans chapter one is one of the very best examples because it's so obvious here, right? We just went through it. So obvious, four times. Paul says, hey, this is what happened to the human race. Reject the truth, the lights go out, and that leads to this downward cycle. And with every step of the cycle, he repeats the principle. It is so clear. But I want you to see what he says, just one of those statements. In chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, so here's what happened. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. They weren't willing to say, you're God and we're not. We're willing to come under your leadership, nor they gave thanks to him. They're not willing to say that not only is he God, but that every good thing we have is from him. He says, but instead, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were what? darkened, and what's really dangerous is although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and so what happens when we reject the truth of God, it's not just that we lose that truth, but when we come over here, now we're believing a lie, we actually begin to think that we're wise. Are you with me in this? This is crazy. Not only do we not recognize the truth, not only do we follow a lie, but we think we're bright for doing it. Wow, does that sound like our culture right now? Yes. Like how many crazy things are being believed and taught in our culture right now that just don't make any sense? Anyways, like, we're so wise. We have this new truth no one's ever known in the history of the universe, right? We're the brightest people ever. You know, like, are you serious? Right? This what happened, but here's what I want you to catch. This doesn't just happen in culture. This happens in our lives. And so what I want you to catch, what we see in Rome, this dimmer switch principle is true. Can I tell you something? If I only had one message to give at Rocky Peak, if I, if I was asked to speak, I could only give one message. The most important thing you've learned about spiritual life and growth, I'd say, I'm going to teach on the dimmer switch. Because it's that important that God has a plan for your life. You know, your life is different than mine. It's different than the person next to you. We're all on different journeys. We come from different experiences. God knows what it needs, you need to know to move you from where you are to new freedom. God knows. And the Holy Spirit has a unique plan to get you there. And you don't need to know the whole plan. You just have to know the Holy Spirit. And so if you just listen to the Holy Spirit, he will lead you step by step to the life he created. You don't need to know. It's so simple. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be super educated. You just have to be willing to listen and follow, right? And it's that critical. And if you say, if I follow what happened with every step, you're going to get more light, more clarity. You're going to move from, from glory to glory. You're going to go through transformation. But if you start picking and choosing, it just doesn't work. And we lose the very light we have. So this dimmer switch is huge. It's real. We take it take to the bank. All right, number two. The second principle we need to understand before we get real practical is that spiritual denial is natural. That for a fallen human race, this is what we do. Now we'll talk in a little bit, like what happens when we come to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a new nature or a new creator. We'll talk about it in a second, but what I want you to catch is that what Paul is saying in Romans 1 is that spiritual denial is what we do. This is natural for a fallen human race. 
So this goes back to the very beginning of our story that God is telling us in, the, in his word. You go back to the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter one, we're introduced to this amazing God, right? This amazing creator who is brilliant, who is powerful, uh, who is creative. A God who loves beauty and order and is completely good. And out of that goodness, and out of that love, he creates this amazing cosmos that we're still ex- exploring. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of today. It's so big. And so in chapter one, the high point of the creation account is the creation of the first man and the first woman. And catch this, they were created to be, first of all, in the image of God. In other words, to be like God. And because they're like God, they're created for relationship with God. And they're created to rule over the creation for God. So it's, they're like the first king and queen of creation. Right? So this is how this story starts. This is beautiful. And in chapter two, there's marriage, and the two becoming one, and they're naked. And not it's just incredible. It's just and of course, and then in chapter three, we have the tragic tale of our rebellion. And so what happens is that, remember, the enemy, the serpent, comes to to Eve, and he says, did God really say? And uh, he gets her to buy into this idea that, and this is, by, by the way, this is the core, core issue behind every sin. He got her to believe that God was not truly good, not truly looking out for her best interest, and that if you want life, you need to leave him, rebel, you need to follow me, and follow this new path, and it will lead you to freedom. And so, as you know the story, they, they, tragically, they tragically stop trusting God, start trusting the enemy, and what happens? Exactly what the creator warned. And the day you eat of it, you'll die. So they begin to die in every way. It's physical, right? It's spiritual. It's uh, intellectual. It's more, the lights go out. They're darkened. But here's what I want you to catch. One of the first signs of their rebellion is spiritual denial. Just like Paul says in Romans 1. And here's what happens. You know, remember that the creator comes to the man, and remember, we call him Adam, which is fine, but remember in Hebrew, Adam is Adam. It means man, right? So he comes to the man, the prototype man. We're all descendants of it. We all get his spiritual DNA, right? So he comes to the man, and he says, you know, what did you do? And I want you to notice what he says. He says in chapter three and verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman... This is what we've been saying ever since. (laughs) The woman that you put here, she gave me some fruit and from the tree and I ate it. And so God says, hey, what, what did you do? And I want you to catch this, how instinctive this was. No one taught him this. Like if you, if you've ever raised children, you know this. Like, you don't have to teach them how to be dishonest. You know, hey, son, I know you're only three, but I'm really concerned. You're just a little too honest. That's going to burn you in this world. Um, it's okay to tell the truth, but sometimes you need to shade a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, when you get in trouble, you're just way too, you can't, that's, that's okay with me, but it's going to hurt you out there. So let me just teach you the ropes. Right? We don't have to teach children. And I, what I want you to notice with, for Adam, like this, he... This is instinctive. His first response. I mean, what's the truth? Why did you eat it? Well, my wife gave it to me and I ate it. It was, I, I knew, did you know, I was rebelling. You told us not to, I did what you, that's the truth. 
But he does it. What does he do? He starts rationalizing. He starts justifying. He starts projecting. It's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. Now that I think about it, God, it's actually your fault. Because you gave me the woman. That was your big mistake. Right there. You know? So if you do this again, I'd suggest come up with a different solution. Right? So here's what I want you. Do you see how... Do you see, I don't know what happened over there, but it must have been good. So, do you see, so what I want you to, how natural this was. Well, you think maybe the woman would do better. No, right? Look what happens. So when God gets to her, he says, the woman said, it was the serpent deceived me. Wait a second. The serpent said, did God really say, don't eat from the fruit? And she said, yes. In fact, she even adds a little line of herself, you know, that, well, don't even touch it. She was super clear. The creator said, don't do this. You'll die. You're super. But she can't just say, yes, I disobeyed. She said, she has to blame it on the serpent. That, yeah, I sinned, but I was just, I was sort of deceived, you know, by the serpent. And here's what I want you to catch. This is what, you and I share the same, apart from Jesus, we share the same human DNA as these two parents. And what I want you to get, when we talk about the flesh, we talk about the, the you know, we're born again, we've, we get this, the Holy Spirit, we have, the new, we have this new nature, but we still have that, that kind of old way, right? What the Bible calls our flesh. And here's what I want you to catch. Your flesh and my flesh, it's natural for it to reject truth that we don't want to hear. And what this means is when we come to Jesus, there's only one way forward. I love the way Paul puts it in a very similar passage in chapter four of Ephesians. It's not on your note sheet, but he says that, he says that the only way forward is we have to embrace the truth that's in Jesus. It's a truth that has set us free. In fact, that leads to number three. Number three is the truth sets us free. <clears throat> now you'll probably recognize that as something Jesus said. We'll get to there in a minute. But I want you to catch this. If, if, this whole, if this whole sin, this whole rebellion is a result of rejecting truth that leads to a downward spiral, whether it's in a culture or in our lives, then the solution, the way we come home is by embracing the truth. And I want you to think about that. This is exactly how we start our spiritual journey with Jesus. That when we come to Jesus... We have, to, we have to, perhaps for the first time in our life, face the truth about ourselves. That we're part of a rebel race, that we've all rebelled. We've all committed sin. There's something desperately wrong with us. We're not just broken, there's some, we're like evil. Paul will get to that later. There's these tragic things we look around the world like Nazi Germany or the Gulag or Russia, the killing fields in Cambodia. We, we kind of tell ourselves that Hey, well, if I were there, uh, I wouldn't have done that. Well, the reality is that chances are that if we were there, we probably would have because we would have been just like that. We're made of the same stuff. Right? There's something desperately wrong with the human race. And part of coming to Jesus is bowing the knee and asking, coming clean with our sin, that I have sinned. I have rebelled. I, I deserve judgment, but I'm coming to you and asking for mercy based on your death for me, not my performance, right? And so this is the way we start our journey. That's why confession of sin is so important. Confession of sin is just being honest about the truth. 
It's coming into the light. And that's where we can be healed, right? So, so this is how we start our spiritual journey, but I want you to catch this. This is how we grow in our journey every step of the way. And Jesus talked about this in, in John chapter eight. It's a famous passage. Um, and we're often free with, uh, familiar with the last statement, but maybe not the context. So Jesus is talking to some uh, Jewish people, of course he's ministering in Israel, uh, who have recently come to faith in him, at least at some level. And he's telling them, hey, here's, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's kind of the path of freedom that I've come to give you. And so he says this, he says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. Now I want you to underline two words there, okay? We want just a little bit of teaching on those two words. I want to underline the word hold, underline the word teaching. So hold to, this is a very simple little Greek word that's meno. And it's just, if you want to write it as M-E-N-O. So meno means to like to remain, to stay in, to stick with. This is the word in John 15 where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Same word. So it has this, this sense of sticking with. In other words, that we don't just listen to Jesus' teaching and like it, we actually listen and follow it. And so the NIV is translate hold on to. We don't let it go. We, we put it into practice. And then the word for teaching is the Greek word logos for L-O-G-O-S for, for word. So he says, Jesus, I'm, I'm teaching you this path of life. If you hold on to my teaching, right, you listen and follow it, you put it into practice. He says, the next thing you know is that you are really my disciples. He says, that this, is the, this is the way you tell whether you're a disciple or not. Do you listen and follow his teaching? So as I've often said, Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. He's not looking for listen and like, he's looking for listen and follow. And so he says, this is how you can tell whether you truly believe you're really my disciple is so you stick with my word, you put it into practice. Okay? He says, then at that point, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Okay, so that's the part we're familiar with. But I want you to catch, this is an if-then progression. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you hold on to my word, as you, you take it in, you listen, you put it into practice, he says, then you're truly my disciples. That's how you know. Right? He said, and then something's gonna happen. As you listen and follow my word, he says, then you're gonna know the truth. Now catch this, often when we're back here, we don't know the truth. All we know is Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the way. And we have to decide whether we trust, it doesn't look like the way for us. It may not even look like it's true. But the question is, do we get in the wheelbarrow? Do we trust it, right? And so he says, so if you hold on to my teaching, he says, then at a certain point, the light's gonna begin to go on and you're gonna see how true it is. The truth is, and all of a sudden you're gonna look back and say, oh, now I see it. I, I was, man, I was ridiculous before. When I, the way I thought that was ridiculous, now it's like, why couldn't I see that? So if you follow, then you'll know the truth. And once you know the truth, the truth will lead you to freedom. Do you see that sequence? And so this is not only how we start our spiritual journey, it's how we grow in our spiritual journey. And we're gonna talk about that in these three remaining questions, right? So, so big picture, this dimmer switch is real. Uh, we've got this natural tendency to reject truth. And so if we wanna grow, we, we've gotta learn how to follow Jesus in this truth. It's that truth that sets us free. So let's jump in. 
So let's get real practical now. So, so three questions. The first one is real, this number two and three are really like subsets of number one, but I think it'd be helpful to break them out separately. So you have this section there, the gospel of God, three key questions. So the first question is, are you open to the spirit? So what we've seen today is that the dimmer switch is real. Right? When we respond to the truth that God shows us, light goes on, we get smarter, we, we begin to move into freedom. When we reject it, life gets darker, we lose it. We eventually think we're smart when we're really not. And so we've seen that how, how that principle works. Well, the role of the Holy Spirit is to, one of his roles is to turn on lights for us. So Jesus said in John 14 and 16, you know, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you another comfort, another mentor, like another helper, like kind of like I was the number one, I'm sending you another, and he is going to lead you into all truth. So this is one of the, the jobs of the Holy Spirit. So catch it, in your life, like I said before, the Holy Spirit, when you came to Jesus, he's got a vision for your life. He knows your background. He knows your life experiences. He knows your gift. He knows God's vision for your life. So his job is to come alongside and to lead you into that truth step by step. And as we listen and follow, we're transformed and we're changed. But here's the reality. When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to new truth, we have a choice to make, don't we? And sometimes that choice is easy because some of the truths that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to are, are just amazing and we, they free us up right away. Like for example, let's say that you struggle with shame right? You're a Christian, you come to Jesus, but you still struggle with shame. There's certain things you've done in your past, uh, certain things that were done to you that, that you, you struggle with shame. And so, so one day you're praying, you're reading the word, maybe you're in a small group discussion, maybe you're at Celebrate Recovery, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're in a, a message like this, and we, we just, and as the word is unpacked for us, we realize that, hey, Jesus died on the cross to take away your guilt and shame, that he's paid for that. You don't have to bear that shame. Shame is not your name. As followers of Jesus, there's no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes for the first time that you don't have to take the shame because Jesus took your shame. That when he hung naked on that cross, he took your shame. He didn't just take your guilt, he took your shame. And, and so you're set free. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, and you're, you move into a new freedom, don't you? And when that happens, that's not hard to accept that. That's beautiful, right? Maybe you're struggling with anxiety and fear. Maybe there's a situation in your life at work. There's a situation with relationships. There's some kind of crisis is happening and you're really struggling with fear and anxiety and the Holy Spirit comes, he just speaks and says, I'm, I'm with you, you're gonna be okay. And in that moment, it's just, we see our, our fear begin to melt and our anxiety go away and peace comes and it's just such, it's such a beautiful revelation of truth and it's easy to step into that light, yes. Maybe you're a person who's always struggled with your own self-worth. You don't really feel like you're, you're worth that much and that through a series of events, the Holy Spirit begins to show you that actually what the Bible says is true. It's not just like theologically true. It's really true that you were chosen before time, that you were called in time to Jesus, 
and you've been gifted for this time. And there's a unique plan. There's no act, it's no accident where you were born. It's no accident the parents you had. It was no accident um, the life experiences that God is working out his plan. It's an amazing plan. He's gonna use all that evil that you went through, he's gonna turn it to good as you listen and follow him and that you have actually been chosen before time to accomplish certain things for his kingdom that will last forever. Your life has deep meaning and purpose. And in that moment, man, the peace of God, the passion of God, it comes, doesn't it? Like, it's beautiful truth. And the Holy Spirit does this. It's his job, right? But there's other times when the Holy Spirit gives us light in areas that are hard. They're hard truths for us to accept because we don't like what they reveal or what they require. It could be in the realm of what we think, our opinions. It could be in the realm of how we live, our actions. Like right here in Romans chapter one, we have some major strong uh, teaching from the apostle Paul, maybe truth about who God is, who we are in the path of life. And for some of us, we're struggling with this, right? Like Paul says, hey, the wrath of God is being revealed. And we're like, we don't, we don't like that. We don't like that. Well, I, don't want, I want a God of love. I don't want a God of wrath. In fact, this is one of the marks of what we call progressive Christianity. We want to remove all the wrath of God. We want to remove the judgment. You know, God's sort of the teddy bear. Right? He's not, right? And Jesus, the apostles, they constantly tell us, that we're gonna all stand before God. And for those who do right, there'll be, there'll be peace, there'll be blessing. And for those who do evil, there's distress, and there's judgment, and it's gonna be terrible. And they tell us all the way through, Jesus, everyone, but we don't like that idea. And so the Holy Spirit's trying to say, hey, your view of God is wrong. And we're like, na 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 Okay, let's just sing the next verse. Paul's gonna go on and he says in here, hey, when you reject the truth about God that it leads to all these false religions and idols. And we we wanna believe that all paths lead to the same place. That's what our culture teaches us. And we don't like that truth. And so the Holy Spirit's trying to show, no, this is the truth. And we're like, I wanna hear that. Our culture is telling us that human sexuality can be made up we can change the rules. We, we can do our own thing. You can free away. And, and Paul's saying, no, that there is a divine plan here. And anything outside of God is destructive. We, we don't want to hear that, right? I could go on and on. So the Holy Spirit could be trying to, it could be in the realm of ideas or truth about who God is. Who, here's one, that the human race, we're, we're taught in our culture, it's basically good. That we're basically good. What's wrong is just a lack of education. What's wrong is poverty. What's wrong is drug abuse. And we're going to see in the next three chapters, Paul said, that's not the core issue. There's something more than broken. Are we broken? Yes, we're broken. But it's more than broken. There's something evil in the human hearts. Well, I don't want to believe that. Well, the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. If you have the wrong diagnosis, you can't have the wrong prescription, or the right prescription. If this is the truth, and we try to live our lives as if it isn't, we'll always be misaligned. We'll never find the path to freedom, right? So sometimes it could be in the realm of ideas, or, but other times it's in the area where we live. 
It has to do, maybe it's an issue of kind of some sin issue in our life. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's some sort of sexual sins, pornography or some kind of sin. Maybe we're in a relationship that as we, we know as believers, we're to be married to believers. People are following Jesus and yet you've been single uh, you know, your, your uh, whole life and you're getting older and you're so lonely and so, hey, this person, they don't, really, they don't really believe in Jesus, but they do believe in God and maybe that'll all work out, right? And so the Holy Spirit's warning you, do not go down this path. It's not the path to life. I know it looks like this is the path to flow. It's not. Stop, stop it. Turn around. And we're like, no, 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 no. Maybe it's in the realm of our finances, how we make our money, it's unethical. Maybe it's how we give in generosity. We, we don't wanna let the Holy Spirit really talk to us in that area. Maybe it's in the realm of, of forgiveness, like how we do relationships. You know, like I know what Jesus said about this, but this blankety blank, I'm not forgiving them. I don't think Jesus, I don't think, I don't think he meant that. Like Jesus, I'll, I'll do most of them, but not this guy. Right? And the Holy Spirit's going, <clears throat> If you do not forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you for your sins. Uh, Jesus said that. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. Oh, let's go to the second verse. Praising God for you. This is what we do. When we don't like what the truth requires or what it reveals, we tend to turn away and pretend we didn't hear it, ignore it, we walk away, and the more we walk away, the less we can hear it, it doesn't bother us anymore. And then we think we're really walking with God. We're not walking with God, we've just walked so far away we can't hear it. So this question is, how do you respond to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? It's the most critical issue of our spiritual life. You respond, you say yes, and it leads to the more light. And can I tell you something? That it's not just like these itty bitty steps of the Holy Spirit. It's like sometimes he has to take what seems like a small step. We have no idea the ramifications like, for example, we're always talking with you here about the importance of developing this regular rhythm of relationship with God, right? Uh, having regular time with God where you can seek him in his word. And, and so, and so you, and let's say the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and say, that it's time for that. Well, you can put him off. Maybe it doesn't fit in your priorities. You're too busy. You've got other things that are more important. You put him off. But what you don't realize is that, that you're just going to, by starting small, maybe just a few minutes with God every day and then letting the Holy Spirit just build that up that it's not just that one part of your life that God is gonna meet you there and he's gonna, that's where he's gonna begin giving you the next steps. He's gonna be turning on the light and by saying no to that one step, you're really saying no to his whole vision. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, uh, I was supposed to go up to a university in northern, in, in uh, the, the west, kind of west, it was up in Washington, you know, in Seattle area. And I was all set to go, and through a series of events, another school came recruiting me, and I had no interest in going there. I, I didn't, the reputation of school, I didn't like, there's nothing about it I liked it, plus it was in the Midwest. 
And, you know, but the Holy Spirit began tugging on my heart. And so I eventually said yes. And can I tell you that one decision has impacted my life in ways I can't even be, it shaped my worldview, it shaped how I understood, understood Jesus, understood his plan. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you what that one decision did. And can I tell you something, for our lives, it's often that way. You have no idea what that one decision to forgive this person that you can't stand, you have no idea the difference that's gonna make in your life forever. It's gonna open up doors of growth you can't even begin to imagine. You look at it as one issue. It's not one issue. It's gonna open up a doorway to all kinds of new things in your life. You see? And so the question is, when the Spirit is speaking, how do we respond? Number two. Now remember I said number two and three are sort of subsets of number one, and they are. Um, but they're, I think it's helpful looking at them separately. So the, number two is, are you open to others? And what I mean by this is that when we come to Jesus, we not only enter into this new vertical relationship with God, we enter into this horizontal relationship with one another where we're, we're designed to be in community. We're part of the family of God. That's why we built our whole church around life groups to try to foster this community. And here's what I want you to catch. One of the ways that God speaks into our life is through one another. And so, for example, in Colossians 3, there's this beautiful long passage about what it looks like to live like in community as followers of Jesus. And when Paul gets to verse 16, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you, and underline this, as you teach and then admonish one another with all wisdom. So Paul says, catch this, this is not talking like the pastors, he's talking to all of us, he says, Hey, as you grow in Jesus, as you're walking with Jesus, you're, you're living out this message, you're learning. He says, hey, be in relationship with one another and be sure to be teaching, kind of sharing what God's doing, you know, what, he's, what he's teaching you, and then be uh, admonishing one another. Like two things, right? So teaching, we get that. This is what God's doing in my life. Um, this, is what, this is what God's uh, you know, showing me. And we learn and we grow from one another. And so the question is, are you open to growing from your brothers and sisters in Christ? Sometimes we can be so proud, it's like we have to, no, 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 that's not the way I was taught. That's not the way I learned. And the Holy Spirit's trying to show you something through another believer, but we can be very reticent to be open to that. Uh, sometimes it's not just general teaching, it's what Paul calls admonishing. And every time I read that word, I have to look it up in a dictionary. It's like not part of my vocabulary. And so, you know, to admonish someone means to urge them, to really urge them. It's kind of an intensity to it, but it, has, it carries a sense of warning. And as members of the body of Christ, we're not only to teach one another, we're to admonish one another. When we see each other getting off track, when we feel like, hey, the path you're on, it looks like it could be dangerous, we're called to speak into each other's life and, and just kind of gently, like, are you sure this is the right thing? And let me ask you that. When someone comes to you, a brother or sister, and maybe challenges you or questions you, how do you respond? Can I tell you something, the way our flesh responds? Naturally. It, we get defensive. We start rationalizing. We start justifying. We start excusing. We start blaming. That's what we naturally do. 
And so, so often we can, you know, and sometimes it's not just a warning. Sometimes we see one another going off into black and white sin. And we're called to not just to admonish, but to rebuke. Did you know that in the book of Proverbs, it says one of the marks of a wise person is they're open to correction. There you know, cheap. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. So it's life-giving correction. Not all correction is life-giving, right? Sometimes it's death-giving. And so we have to weigh that, take it before the Lord or whatever. But hey, when someone comes to you and challenges you in some area of your thinking or your walk, how do you respond You know, I think often, even the church, I hear this all the time, stop judging me. Hey, you're my brother or sister, we're called to warn one another. If we see, if we think someone's in danger, this is what love does. We we, we challenge, if we see someone high-handed sin, we're called to rebuke one another. That's what we're called to do, right? In gentleness, with respect and love, we're called to hold each other accountable. So, So who are the people in your life that, have that right to do that. If someone challenges you, is your response defensiveness, rationalization, just, or, or are you willing to say, hey, I don't know if that's right or not, but I'm gonna take it before the Lord and pray about it because I, I may have a blind spot here. You know, one of the places that we see this is that often those who know us best see our blind spots the most. So you think of your families, you think of uh, ministry teams, you think of uh, uh, life groups, maybe a work setting. But you know, one of the best opportunities we have is in marriage. Amen. Can I tell you something that often no one knows you better than your spouse? And, um, and if we are growing together, we're both really pursuing Jesus. This is just such an amazing opportunity to grow. We gently challenge one another, we bring up. And you know what the tragedy is? I've seen this from years ago. I did so much marriage counseling in the the past, but what I'd see this is that that you have a husband or you have a wife that's clearly not walking with Jesus in an area, clearly, and their their spouse has been trying to tell them for 10 years, and now their marriage is on the rocks. It's like it's, it's about to go down, and it's all because one of them just wouldn't listen. Like God was speaking, through their spouse, but they're they're not willing. It's amazing, right, how we can be so resistant to truth. You know, you you talk, hey, I think you've got an anger problem. You say to your spouse, I think you have an anger problem. I'm not angry. (laughs) Well, it looks like, no, I'm telling you, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I don't know. It's just, you just push my buttons. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure, but the blood vessels look like they're about to break. I think you might have a, anger problem, right? It's, it's amazing how we can lie to ourselves, right? It's amazing. I was like, hey, well, honey, do you think you might be sort of jealous? It seems like there's this company kind of jealous. Oh, no, I'm not jealous. It's like obvious, right? Like, it feels like you hate her. Oh, no, no. I'm just, you know, just, I love her in the Lord. It's just that Amazing, right? That leads us to number three. And number three um, is, are you honest with yourself? One of the greatest sources of truth is ourselves. 
as funny as that sounds, but what I'm saying is, what, let me just clarify kind of what I mean by yourself. I'm gonna ask you this, how honest are you with your deepest thoughts, your deepest fears, your deepest desires, and your deepest motives? How honest are you with your deepest thoughts, your deepest like emotions, deepest desires, your deepest motives, like why you do what you do? I'm gonna say something that's very strong here, but I think it's very powerful, very profound, is that if we don't learn to be radically honest with ourselves about what's true about us, and especially on the dark side, especially with our fears, especially with our anxieties, especially with our, our, uh, our resentments, our bitternesses, our lusts, if we're not willing to be radically honest, then even Jesus can't help us. You might say, well, it's strong, but let me explain what I mean. I think you'll see what I mean is that, you know, today we started the day with a story of these two men walking through this town. They recently moved there. Um, They're headed to a house. They've seen it before. They know the guy who lives there, pretty famous, uh, at least in their little little city, a little town, but not popular, not popular. Uh, Got a bad reputation, and they're not sure which is more strange, that he invited them to this party or that they accepted. Well, this is my version of an account in the life of Jesus that comes from recorded in Matthew 9 and Mark 4. And so what's happened is that earlier that day, Jesus has called um, uh, a well-known guy in the, in the town uh, by his name is Matthew uh, to follow him and be his disciple, right? It's a big deal. And so Matthew, or his name, other name is Levi, um, he's, a, he's a tax collector. So uh, Jesus has recently moved from Nazareth, 17 miles away, to Capernaum to make the center of his operations, right there in the Sea of Galilee. And so most of his men have come from somewhere. They're not familiar. They're all getting used to this town. Well, Capernaum is where two provinces come together. And because of that, there is tax, like uh, customs taxes have to be paid as you, as you travel through. It's, it's on a very international trade route. And so the, the agent there is this guy named Matthew. He's a tax collector. Well, in Jewish culture, Jewish, uh, a tax collector is seen as a spiritual untouchable. For a, a variety of reasons I won't go into, they're seen as people as far from God, and you want to stay away from there. They would be classified technically as like sinners, like a class of sinners, right? So, so the fact that Jesus calls this sinner to be a disciple is shocking. And, uh, and so, but the, the guy, Matthew, is super excited about this. So later that day, he throws a party for all of his sinner friends. And so Jesus is invited to this party. He, Matthew wants him to meet his friends. And so Jesus' disciples are going too. And I'm sure it was very weird for them. So I'm picturing maybe it's James and John, maybe it's Peter and Andrew. But it, very weird for them to be going to this house. This is like everything against what the way they were raised. And so they're, they're in there, and as they come to this party, at a certain point, some of the religious elite of the day, we call Pharisees, they show up and they are just blown away that this young rabbi is associating with sinners because in their worldview, if you want to get close to God, you have to stay away from people who are far from God. And so they come up at a certain point to the disciples and they ask them, like, what's he doing? And... Jesus overhears, and this is what Jesus says. And they're never going to forget this. 
Um, it says, on hearing, this is Matthew's account, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the what? The sick. Okay, then Mark adds a line. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call what? Sinners. Now, so the question is, what is Jesus saying? And we know from the rest of his teaching, he's not saying that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are spiritually healthy people. They're the righteous. There's spiritually sick people. They're the sinners. And that he's only come for the second category. He has nothing to say to everyone else. I mean, as Paul says today in Romans 1, we're all, we're all part of this fallen race, right? We're all rebels. So, but what is Jesus saying? What he's saying is he says, I'm like a spiritual doctor. Everyone on this planet's got cancer, and I've come to heal them. He says, but you can only get healed if you're willing to admit you have the disease. And this is exactly what the religious elite were not willing to do. They weren't willing to be honest with their deepest thoughts, their deepest emotions, their deepest desires, their deepest motives. In fact, later on in Matthew 23, so you, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and bitterness and hatred, you see? And so they weren't willing to be honest with themselves about their thoughts, they just looked at the outside. And men and women, this is true for us too. That if we want to grow, we have to be willing for the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal the truth about ourselves. This is how we get healed. Stop and think about it. You may have the best oncologist in all the world available to you. But if you're not willing, when you have the symptoms of cancer, if you're not willing to pick up the phone make an appointment, go in, be radically honest about your symptoms, submit to their tests, follow their prescription, you're not gonna get healed, right? And that's spiritually true too. As long as we wanna pretend we don't have jealousy, we don't have bitterness, we don't have fear, we don't have lust, we don't have anger, as long as we wanna lie to ourselves, we can never be healed because we're unwilling to come to the doctor. And sometimes it's because we're really afraid to bring that rawness to Jesus like he'll condemn us, but he already knows. This is why he came. Sometimes the reason is we're not ready for change and we don't want to be revealed. We want to hold on to our bitterness. We want to hold on to our lust. We want to hold on to our greed. We want to hold on to our hatred. We want to hold on to our sin. So we don't want to be honest because we know what the prescription will be. And so this question is, when it comes, like how open are you to the Holy Spirit? Whether he's speaking directly to you, he's speaking through the word, he's speaking through messages like this, he's speaking through worship, all the different ways he speaks. Or, or what if he may be speaking through someone else in your life who's maybe teaching you or challenging you. Maybe he's speaking directly to you, but about the state of your heart. Are you willing to embrace that truth? Because here's what I know. This dimmer switch principle, it is the most important spiritual principle I know. If you want to be saved and you want to grow, it's very simple. Very simple. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to know the Bible like the back of your hand. Although, if you listen and follow, you'll probably end up knowing the Bible. 
But what you need to do is just start saying, Lord, is there anything in my life that's getting in the way of me growing? You show me that. You just take that step, and as you step towards the light, he'll give you more light. The dimmer switch gets turned up. You just keep listening and following, and your growth will be very organic and very natural. Can I tell you something? You are designed to be passionate about the creator. You're designed to be passionate about his kingdom. And if we're not growing regularly, if we're not transforming, if we don't have passion for the kingdom of God and passion for God himself, that we have not yet discovered the full gospel of God. And chances are that we have not been really willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's some area we've said no to. And so now we'll justify ourselves with our lack of growth. But the reality is that we just stopped listening a long time ago. And now we profess how wise we are, that we're now just a mature Christian. We've lost that passion of our early days. And we proclaim ourselves wise when the reality is we become fools because we've lied to ourselves and not listened and followed when the Holy Spirit began turning up the light. Amen? Amen. Let's go to prayer. So Lord, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we just want to come before you, Lord. And my guess is that for some of us here, that your Spirit's working right now and you're just telling us that you have so much life for us. You've come to give us life. You've come to give us freedom, but, but we've been resistant to truth. And so we just, we're not growing. We're not changing. Our passions are still for the things of this world, not for you and your kingdom. And Lord, today, we just want to come home. We want to bow the knee. We want to surrender. We want to say, if there's anything in our life, God, you want to talk to us about, we want to hear that. So we can surrender that to you and respond to that truth. We need like a fresh wind of your spirit, as, as the song's gonna say. And so we pray that right now, in the midst of worship, we come and meet us with the power of your spirit. Blow a fresh wind. And this time, Lord, instead of pulling down our sails, may you equip us by your Holy Spirit to put up our sails, to catch that wind, and to sail into our future with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.